Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Best Fit Body Podcast. I'm Elle, and I'm one of your co-hosts, and I have my beautiful, lovely mother here, Jules. Hi there. Hello, everybody. And I had to just say that that she's she's always my mom, but sometimes she's my friend, sometimes she's my business partner, sometimes she's the podcast co-host. But today, we are talking about moms and stuff, motherly advice. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this was because Jules is not only my mom, but she's literally like a mom to everybody listening, everybody she's ever coached, pretty much everybody she ever talks to. (laughs) She kind of gives off this just vibe of nurturing and kind of just like everything that a mom should do. And I felt like, you know, we just celebrated Mother's Day. We're in between Mother's and Father's Day. And we kind of wanted to do a whole podcast, like an advice podcast, basically. She's full of wisdom and she's probably loving all this complimenting I'm doing of her. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed actually right now. No, why? (laughs) Don't be overwhelmed. Did I make you nervous? No, not nervous, just humbled, I think. But I appreciate that. And yeah. Yeah. And and, this was my idea, by the way, guys. This wasn't she wasn't like, ooh, let's talk about me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was I was all raring, you know, rip raring to talk about something pretty dry like reps and sets or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) We can totally talk about that dry stuff later on. But I felt like what we have, we work together. I get questions all the time. What's it like to work with your mom? What's it like to work together? And, you know, your relationship with her is so great and blah, blah, blah. And it is. And I want to just share that with the world. And she's just smart. And she just does a lot of great things that y'all could use Mama Jules in your life, too. Well, I appreciate that. And and I am very, like I said, I'm humbled and honored that you wanted to talk about this. And I do feel that it is, uh, it's pretty awe-inspiring for me to get to live every day working with you, my daughter, my business partner. And you are all the compliments to all the things that I need. And I think I get that a lot too from people uh, saying things like, you know, it's so cool that you and your daughter work together. And I don't know, it just sort of felt so natural when we when we moved into this business uh, plan. And uh, yeah, sometimes we butt heads, but we really do compliment each other. And, you know, sometimes she knows the buttons to push on me and I know the buttons to push on her for the good (laughs) or the bad. (laughs) It makes me laugh because this weekend we were at a show with a couple of our clients and I forget what you were doing, but we were walking down that dark hallway and and one of our clients was like, I love how Elle just like takes charge. And she's just like, no, she's finding the practical things about everything. And like, that's how I am. Like, I'm very practical. I'm very like straightforward. I'm like, I want things done and I want them done this way. And you're like a little bit, like a little bit more silly. Like you'll, you'll do some things. And so, but I need <laughs> that. And so I'll be like, I'll be like, Jules, mom, like, no. And it's funny how it's like the other way around. Whereas like, you know, sometimes you would think that it would be you telling me like, okay, quit it. Like, let's get to work. But it's the other way around. <laughs> well, that's it. And I think, you know, sometimes I think about in many ways, you know, all my years of experience, I do 
feel that not in an immature way, but it, it, I definitely enjoy the sort of youthfulness of life or the, the, the joy of life. And sometimes I have to shake you out of being so serious all the time, which is really, you know, it's funny in that way. But, you know, I guess this is something that we are probably going to even cover through life and experiences. You get a little, you have a different philosophy as you get older. And I have to say, I look at you and I see a lot of what I was like as as a woman in my early 20s and mid-20s and things. And I know you're, you're going to bring this up too. Let's bring it up right now. Let's bring it up right now. That it part of being a parent is to allow your child to self-explore and to, you know, have wins and have stumbles. And so, you know, I'll watch you do things and I'll say, hey, you know, I could kind of jump in here or I could say, you know what, she's got to explore on her own. So so there's a little bit of that. And I'm a little bit more philosophical because of life experiences. So it is fun because we get to kind of bounce off some of those things on each other. And I guess I'm a, a little bit more of like, yeah, a little laid back about things. And you're a little more... But on the other hand, there are other things that you're a little more laid back on and I'm a little more, you know, this is how we're doing it. I think that's what makes it work. I think so too. So I I had asked Jules to come up with a couple things that she felt were important to discuss about being a mother. And so for anybody listening who's young, who isn't a mother yet and has dreams to be a mother, or maybe you are a young mother, or maybe your kids are all grown up and you're listening to this. They were just kind of some very like special things that I wanted her to come up with that could resonate with some of us. And so she kind of came up with like a little list and I think it's, there's, we've got about eight different things we're going to talk about. And I think we're just going to kind of dive in and and talk about them. And I'm going to ask her some questions because I really do feel like she is not only full of so much wisdom in fitness and nutrition, but also in life. And that's where I've developed my, I guess, open eyes and open heart for understanding people and connecting with people in a way that is different from a lot of connections that you'll have. I don't know. She's just like this little being of ah, whatever you are is just is really awesome. And I'm not the only one that feels that way. And so I'm just going to butter you up before you talk about it. There you go. Now I'm just, I have my list. Thank goodness I have this list of things Mm -hmm. because yeah, for sure. Yeah. When you, you know, first offered this topic, I just felt like all of a sudden this whole flood of, oh my gosh, somebody's, you know, wants to have me talk about all of the things. If I could give a young person, because this could be applied to men or women, but I do think you know, coming from the mother's perspective to to women, whether, as you said, you know, you are a young woman growing up or a young mother or even women who are mothers, there's always room for improvement in ourselves and trying to be better, being a better person. But also, you know, thinking about some of these relationship things as we're going to talk about it, these can be applied to fathers, these can be applied to you know, young men also, because, you know, some of these struggles that we all have are not isolated to gender specific. But I do think that some of these things that we're asked often do come from women because, 
there may be a little bit more of a self-reflection on this. So I guess I just started writing things down and I'm just going to dive into, I guess, and you can interject some comments and questions and things. But the first thing that really just sort of popped into my head when you said, you know, come up with a couple of things that you would like to share almost like uh, wise words from a mother. The very, 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 very first thing um, that came to my mind was talking about self-love. And self-love starts early. And this is something that as you get older, you do look back and say, you know, if I could do it over again, what would I do? And the first thing would be to say self-love I wish I had started that earlier. And I can say that that's very true for myself. And I do think that every day I get a little more grateful over the fact that I did discover that at a fairly young age, you know, because you can say certain things happen to people. And I guess my story about understanding that this self-love needed to start early really was from growing up. Sometimes people think, oh, if they're a great parent, they came from great parenting. And I have to say my parents, they were great parents. My parents are still alive. Fortunately, my mom and dad are 85. Their healths are not great, but I am grateful that they, they were really great parents. Were they perfect parents? No far from being perfect. And and the things that they did really sort of cultivated who I am. But it was only to a certain point where I began to realize I needed to take what they had offered me, given me, and then it became my own journey. And so when I talk about things and self-discovery, you can't blame your history forever. You have to take some responsibility and say, okay, these are the things that I have had happen to me, but if this is where I want to go or do I want to move my own self in another direction, I have to start to take ownership over that. So that self-love has to pick up even when your you know, parents are still loving you, they'll always love you, but you have to take that and, and integrate that very early. Yeah. I like what you said about there's becomes a point where your upbringing or the things that happened to you, you can't blame things on them. And so there becomes a point where you have to say, okay, I'm not going to let that define me. And I'm not going to run my life this way all because this happened to me. It's almost like you have to become an adult and push past those things that have happened to you. Although they have shaped the way you are, you're not necessarily stuck in those ways. That is only if you choose to. That is, I guess, my second little tip here. Your mind will lead you down the path of your choosing. So, for example, you know, I grew up with my dad having this expectation of the children that we, you know, would pick a path for our lives and we would work hard for that. And it was going to be a straight and narrow path. And we always had to have a plan and we always had to, you know, move one foot in front of the other. You know, I grew up the third of four children. What year would you say that this started to become something that that you knew that was expected of you? I have to say it was probably when I was around 12 or 13. So that's like what, early 1970s? Yes, 1972, 73. Yeah. yeah. I remember, you know, I mean, there's lots of different things and, and I, I don't want to spend three hours talking about all of the history of all those things. But as a young, you know, as a teenager, I, I knew there were certain expectations for me and I had to work really hard 
a lot of those things didn't come that easily to me. And I had to work really hard to live up to the expectations of what my father wanted. And he only wanted good things, you know, for me. And I could see that, but they didn't always mesh with what I wanted to. And so I had that very sort of rigid with my dad and my mother, who I grew up with my mom being very, very unconditional love, which was wonderful, but she would never share any part about herself. So I always felt that, you know, she was there, but it was a little bit distant. And, you know, her job was to be the mother and make sure. And so uh, there was a lot of that kind of stuff. But I realized that it was around those early years that I realized that I may not always be able to live up to other people's expectations of myself. But as long as I could set my own bar and I could push myself to live up to my own personal expectations, then I had to allow myself to feel good about that. Because I could see if I chose not to, it would have started to destroy me. Because, you know, there were points in my life I started to question, you know, what is my worth? What is my value? How do I fit into this? Which I think is normal for most women, young women in that sort of those teen years, and they're struggling with just sort of their own new identity and, and, and independence. And it was a struggle, you know, and, and in certain ways, you know, I had to grow up faster than other, you know, in other ways. So, you know, my father, and I'm going to be open and honest here, you know, he has some uh, and has had since I, I realized it in my early teens, some pretty severe depression and mental health issues. And so I could start to see the dynamics of those things happening. And I became very aware of it. And sometimes I had to become the stabilizer with my my siblings and my younger sister. So some of those things, I realized that I needed to take responsibility of what my choices were. And that nobody else could make those choices for me, but me. So that carried on through my whole life, though. I realized that no matter what, I always could choose the path of sort of self-repair or self-destruction. And, you know, when faced with difficult situations, I would always just sort of say, is this going to, you know, keep me healthy and whole? Or is this going to start to dig me deeper into situations that I'm not going to be happy with? Did you ever at certain points in time do uh, negative things or have any negative habits that you obviously got out of, uh, but did you let things kind of push you to do some unhealthy habits? And what was that like? Because you say that- Yeah, that's a great question. You want to push on through them, but not, we're not always strong enough to do that. So sometimes we do fall into things. It's like, so, so what, what were those for you? Oh, yeah, no, I definitely and it was, you know, probably around my when I was 16, 17 and 18, I have to say that sort of the peak of some of the issues that my dad was struggling with, you know, sort of came to a head. And I not intentionally, but I I definitely started to exercise and, and do a little bit of that sort of, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say it was really anorexic, but I felt I had a lot of control over my food intake and my my exercise because it became a coping mechanism for me. And it maybe it was a little bit of self punishment. But you know, it took a couple of years. And I remember being in college and struggling with that through those years where I would literally go out and walk for three hours. But you know, we didn't have gyms, you know, but I would be like, I'd put my Walkman on, you know, dating way back to the, you know, 1978, 79. And I would literally, you know, I disappear and just I would just walk for hours. And it was my my coping and it, it was not healthy just because 
it was it was so much, but it was my escape. And it was like, hey, you know, I'm going to go out and I'll be, you know, walking for an hour and a half in the morning, an hour and a half at night, just because it helped me cope. You could say, well, maybe there, there could have been worse things. You know, I could have turned to drugs. I could have turned to, you know, all sorts of probably worse things. But, you know, looking back on it, it definitely was a coping mechanism for myself until I realized that it was okay to open up to people about it. You know, in the, in the 70s, nobody talked about mental health issues. Yeah. And it was very much a taboo. You know, so that was sort of my initial way to cope with it. And I, I stepped out and sought counseling myself. But they kept on looking at me like I was cra- like crazy. Great, yeah. Because they didn't really think I had a problem because I looked like I was coping. But yeah. I was struggling. You know, I was like, okay, I'm just trying to figure this all out. That's really interesting, though. And I feel like we should address that. So in the 70s, it was like you said, a little bit more taboo. And now we get into, you know, we're almost into 2020. So that's almost 40 years of change. And now I've noticed that almost everybody, not everybody, maybe like 50% of people are very open and honest about mental health. And I think that helps because other people say, oh, wow, I probably have had some sort of thing go on in my life too. And maybe I'm okay now, or maybe I'm really not okay now. And that it's okay to seek help. And if someone says, well, you don't fit the profile of someone who would be crazy or someone who would have mental health issues or problems that they're dealing with, it's not about what you look like on the outside. And it's not about how you cope. Just because you are coping doesn't mean that it's still not a problem. Some people are much better at coping and pushing it down and down and down, and others are not. And that's what I grew up with, this this approach that, you know what, unless you're kind of like bleeding, you don't put a Band-Aid on it. You know? So it was really just kind of suck it up and move on. And with that, and I do think that there's a lot of people still out there who really struggle with you know, something that is going on and they either don't have an outlet for it or don't have a support system for it or don't, you know, maybe there there still is shame or admitting. Um, and I think nowadays there are a lot more sort of terminology. There are different um, treatment modalities, you know, whether it's behavioral or pharmacological, you know, or, or cognitive therapies and treatments, nobody really addressed that unless you were really, really in a bad situation. So I'm grateful that the awareness is there. But I do think that people sometimes are hesitant to speak up about it. And I think, you know, even for me, it was really hard to say this was something that I knew was going to be an issue that I always had to be aware of. You know, my father's mother was very de- depressed. And so, you know, there is a, a clinical part that is potentially genetic. So Ellen's dad, my husband, Mark, and I were always very open and honest. And, and we were together during the years my dad was having the trouble in the early years. So I had him to talk to, which was wonderful. And he understood the struggles. He was patient and listened. And that was huge. You know, at the time, I didn't really have anything therapist, like I said, to go through, but he always listened and and gave me that unconditional love and didn't try to solve it, but allowed me to process. And I think that's really important for people. So when, you know, our kids came along, we made it very clear that we needed and were very open for the kids to be open and honest and aware that these things go on. But yeah, but the mind can lead you down the path of your choosing. And sometimes your mind will start to play tricks. So you have to be aware of it. And that's where you might need to seek some help there. 
So that's my my words from a mother is realize that you have the power, but if you find that your mind is leading you places, you might need to to address that. Yeah. That's an important one right now. I just think that since everybody's talking about mental health and it's I felt like that was a good part to bring up right now. I want to talk about kind of going back to that self-love and body image and self-image type of view from from a young person looking back at like my childhood because I think as a young person we follow what our mothers do or like we follow what we see is what we repeat you know we learn a lot of things by observation and one thing that I told Jules just the other day, I said, I need to thank you because I don't think I ever have. And I realized that she had never made me feel bad for myself ever. Like she would never say like, oh, you're going to wear that. Like unless I was trying to sneak out of the house in like a mini skirt that showed way too much. Um, But she would never make digs at me. And growing up, It's wild to me that so many women do deal with that, whether it's from bullies at school, whether it's a sibling, a brother or sister, or even a mother or a father, any type of like verbal type of abuse. And it makes me think about how much that can shape us as we get older. And with my interest in psychology and the effects that your early childhood have on who you become as an adult and the things that you do and the way that you perceive yourself, we are basically, I want to say conditioned in those early years. And it all kind of ties into then the mind will lead you down the path of your choosing, which is what Jules just spoke about is that if you believe those things as a kid, and then as you get older and older, you believe those things as an adult, your mind is going to continue down that path. But if you choose to flip-flop it and say, I'm not going to be who I was as a kid, I'm not going to think this way about myself just because somebody said it, you're on a path towards coming out of that and getting to see kind of the other side of it. Yes. and, And I do think, you know, we have, and I remember even growing up watching some of my friends and even my dad, you know, he would say things. And, and I remember thinking that that just didn't make me feel very good. So, you know, I remember um, one time I was upset about something and he made a comment to me about not being so emotional. And I remember thinking to myself, why are you telling me not to express my emotions just because you grew up that way or you have a hard time expressing your emotions. I knew I couldn't squish that in me because that was part of who I was. And I remember being a little befuddled about that. And it's like, so when I see, you know, people who are, you know, verbally and obviously physically abused, you know, I I do have to kind of scratch my head saying, why do they put up with it? But it is, you know, that's hard. Especially if it's your family and it's you're young and you don't know where to go and what to do. And so this podcast has has turned deep and dark, but this is, (laughs) well, let's bring it up to a little lively. (laughs) No, no, no. But like, but I, you know what? I don't, I think that that's the, these are the real things that we should be talking about during this type of episode. So if you're, if you're listening to this and this is like a trigger for you, I guess don't continue listening. Um, But we are kind of talking about some of that, that deep childhood growing up stuff. That's not not the pretty side of it, but it's real. 
But it's real. I just want to add something in there. But one of the big things, I guess my point is that, you know, this is important for you to be able to step back and and recognize your situation and realize this again goes back to you have the power to switch the gears if you're not happy with something. So if you're seeing interactions and relationships and how it's affecting you and your own feelings about your self-worth or do you deserve better in whatever it is, a job or in relationship or in just, you know, your lifestyle that it may be hard to do, but if you if you really believe that you deserve better, then it becomes easier to see the path on how to get there. So the big, the biggest thing there is that your your kids will watch you. You will watch people, and you will learn the behaviors of other people, and that can definitely contribute to what you see and how you view the world. And if you're a young mom or you're going to be a mom, you just have to remember that every time you – poke and prod at the parts of your body that you don't like and you know you say negative things whether it's about yourself or other people your kids will pick up on that so if you want to raise a child who is going to be a respectful and successful human being you have to kind of figure out how you're going to act that will enable them to see it because it's not like when they're young they're going to be like okay mom did this. So that means that I'm going to do it. It just happens. And that's one thing that I learned. And I'll say again, that I thank my mother for is that she would never say things like, oh, I'm fat or like I'm saggy or like I, this and that. And because of that, I grew up without having lots of pressures on myself. And I know that that's not something that everybody deals with. I know that Jules, when you were growing up, you had friends that dealt with some negative things that probably shaped who they are today. Oh, absolutely. You know, and that's one of the, um, you know, another, I guess you could say a little cliche words from a mother that ties into this. But I, I feel this is really, especially doing what we do, if there's something that I can impart on people out there is, look at yourself. And one of the things that we do to sort of destroy ourselves often is this negative self-talk. But I think it's important for you to always respect your body for doing its job. And I think sometimes we, in this world of, uh, you know, like we expect, you know, if our car isn't working so well, we just bring it to the mechanic, they fix it, it's good as gold, you know, but our bodies are not always like that. So we have to, you know, we have to respect that time and events around the around us are going to have an effect on what our, our bodies, where they are, where they're going, where they have been. It's sometimes hard, but I do think that you have to have a very um, humbled respect for that. And instead of picking it apart, you know, sort of embracing it. And I, I know it's hard to say love all the, the imperfections because it's really, you know, in this world, especially you know, we talk about the social media every time we get on a podcast, but I do think that there's so much comparison. But if we stop and just take a moment to really appreciate that your body is an amazing machine in its own for its imperfections, that will help you on a daily basis is just to really just kind of step back and respect yourself for it. And I think that's what you were talking about that there was no point in me sitting there and cursing this about my body or, you know, or, or criticizing it because it was what it was. Did you ever have those negative feelings though? Like, did you, Oh 
yes, of course. So what did you do instead of like saying it out loud, you know, like what, what would you do to make yourself feel better and feel adequate and grow and change and like in the healthy ways that you wanted to? Because I think that we, no matter what we're doing, I think we're always trying to change to be a little bit better. And so sometimes we're on a good path and we're doing everything according to what our kind of plan is. And then sometimes things kind of go like AWOL and we don't really know how to control it. So what do you do and what did you do instead of picking yourself apart? Because there was definitely a positive way you went about it. Oh, yes, definitely. And I do think, you know, it all comes down to sort of how I I approach different things. And I can think of at least a half a dozen different events. So I'm just trying to figure which one that I could use as a good example. I guess, you know, and I'm going to use the example of when I was in my 40s. You know, I had been a a fit person, but, you know, I had a bunch of small health things that started to amount to a lot of things. And I really began to feel in my 40s that my body was beginning to fail me from that perspective that I always felt, oh gosh, you know, I'm always going to be strong. I'm always going to be vivacious. I'm always going to be able to do whatever I felt like doing because my body was just going to keep up with the rest of it. But then certain things started to happen. And, you know, I was diagnosed with high blood pressure and Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. And I started to have some arthritis, but all through that, my whole, it was about two years that I was given one diagnosis and another diagnosis, and nobody could really come up with what was going on. And, And so my body started to feel different and it felt like it was not doing what I wanted it to do anymore. And I didn't have control over that. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, okay, you're going to be on this medication. You're going to be on this medication. And I started to feel old. And I said, you know, I can choose two different paths here. Again, comes down to this. I could choose to just sort of take care of what I needed to take care of, to take care of myself and go positively and do things in spite of what was going on. Or I could just say, oh, I'm just going to give it up. And I'm just going to sit here and just sort of let life happen. So I had this respect for my body, knowing that there were going to be some new parameters for myself. But I was still going to do the things I wanted to do in spite of it. And that was, I guess it was a philosophical time for me in my 40s. And that's where I said, I started to realize, I wish I knew this when I was in my 20s. But Mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't have had the same perspective because my body was strong and I could, you know, it was very resilient and I could do lots of things that I just didn't even give second thought to. But then as you get older, your body starts to do different things. So that was a very important point in my life at that point. And I do think that it helped me go on. And, you know, now I'm 57 and I've been through menopause and all the things that that brings and a whole bunch of other myriads of things. And I say, I'm not going to use those as crutches. Right. I want to live till, you know, I'm 110. I mean, I'm, that's what I'm going for. Okay. So I want to talk about legacies and purpose and your why. And helping the listeners here find their why because I had a great conversation with somebody actually earlier today and we were discussing the role of social media and what people go through on a daily basis when they are consuming a lot of social content that is via a screen And the conversation that I had with this person was that they felt they weren't 
living up to their potential, but they didn't really know what their potential was. And so if you're listening and you're kind of like shaking your head, feeling the same, a little bit like, wow, I look at these people online and they look like they're living out their dream and they're getting to make a career out of being famous online and it seems glamorous and they have it all together and they're going on vacation. It just, it's over and over and over again. And one of the first things that I said to this, this girl was that there needs to be a way for you to separate yourself from it. Because if you are submerging yourself into this culture, this online culture, that it's making you feel like you're not good enough. First of all, stop consuming all of it all the time. Then it went on to say, okay, well, so how do we find what your passion is? And I said, well, what's your why? And she said, I don't really have a why. She's like, I don't really know. And I I said, well, that's going to be the first thing that you have to figure out. I want you to give the advice to this girl, I guess, and for anybody else listening that may feel like that about what it is that you're doing with our life because we are put on this earth. Okay. So what, what is the point of it? And I think that some religion and some spirituality, different kind of places that people come from, there may be purposes already kind of ingrained in them. But what about someone who just really is going through the motions of day to day and they're trying to find their why? What would you say? Like, how, how do you find that? And, and have you found that? And just anything that you can share? Yeah, no, that's great. You know, and it's interesting because what was sort of the trigger for me to think about things like that was when the you kids were were born. And I felt when I was in my early, or I should say my my career years before you guys were born, I really felt that I had a, a a very successful career doing, you know, health promotion and and nutrition counseling. And, you know, then your life changes and and all of a sudden when you have kids, at least for me, it was after you guys were born, I felt like I had given up a lot of that sort of career because you guys were more important for me to to be there for you. And I struggled a lot with it as you got older as to what was I going to leave, how was I going to leave my mark on on this planet? And that's how I looked at it as the legacy. And I always I always knew that my best legacy was going to be raising you and your brother, you know, my kids in the best way I could, because they were going to be the future, the embodiment of of me and my husband going on. But I did know that I wanted to have more out there. And I, you know, you do start to think about what is it, that little poem about the dash, it's most important, not that, you know, the day you, you're born and the day you die, it's most important what you do with the years in between. And I think, you know, for me, a lot of it was feeling that I could take what drives me, my passions, and if I could, number one, improve myself so I could be a better person, that's very important, but that so that I could give back, so that I could contribute to things in the world that, yeah, so maybe people would remember me, but that maybe would affect other people. And for some people, it might not be 
affecting other people, but it might be affecting the physical world around you. So, you know, if, for example, if you're an architect, you know, or somebody who likes to be involved in constructing things, you're, you know, you're going to leave your fingerprints, your legacy on things that you may construct, or even might even be contributing to a cleaner environment or, you know, so think about the things that drive you as a passion and how can you open up your eyes? It's like open up your front door, walk out there in the world and say, how can yeah. I make a difference? My advice for people who are struggling with this is, you know, you've got your jobs to do. You've got your families and your and the things that you love to do. But then think about maybe volunteering. You know, think about can you do something once a week or once a month that may be giving back to the world out, out there? And I do think that by experimenting with that, not being afraid to do something a little different, that you might come upon something that strikes a deep chord in you that will excite you to push out to why. I was just going to use the example of my brother and his wife. I remember when in the early years, they used to volunteer to build houses for the Habitat for Humanity. And it really started them into a lot of different areas for community work. And they do a lot of fundraising now for big organizations like the Red Cross and and all sorts of other things. And that's their why. And I admire them for doing it that way. That's how they've discovered their, their, and they're very giving and they get a lot of fulfillment from that. So anyway. No, and I think that that's a great example of it. And I think that a lot of people think that it's got to be something that you do 24 seven, that why in the back of your mind, it's going to be but it doesn't mean that you can't just shut your brain off for a little bit and live and be doesn't have to be something that you're always doing. But my suggestion to this girl was that shut off the phone for a little bit and read and and be alone with your thoughts or turn on a podcast where you can learn something and maybe just start to perceive the world in a different way. And I think a lot of your happiness and direction can come from a little bit more of figuring out yourself and developing some self-awareness. So you find what really makes you thrive and you find what excites you and that is going to give more of a purpose to your why. I don't think necessarily that a why should be a selfish thing. I think that it shouldn't be a me, me, me thing. I think that is reserved for passions and hobbies. And so if you're able to turn your passion and hobby into a career, that's great. But we've talked about this before is that we need the variety of people. So not everybody is going to make their career their passion um, and their negative and positive things to that. And so when you're looking for for whatever your passion or your legacy is going to be, it doesn't have to be your career. Oh, absolutely. And I I honestly do think, and that was my point about bringing about my brother, that those are not their careers. And, and, you know, they have different careers, but that was something that they both connected with and they, and they pursued that. And I do think that there are different times of your life 
that um, you might have more time to think about that. You know, if you're if you're working a job that is a lot of hours, you've got family, you know, obligations, your personal care. Sometimes it's hard. So that's why I would say if you can fit in these different things that might be, you know, contributing. And I do think that that's what people sometimes look at it when we talk about legacy. There's, I think sometimes the legacy can be different from what your personal why, because um, I know we're, we talk about the why a lot. Why, why do people compete? You know, you have to have your reason. And that can be a very selfish thing. And that's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Because you should have those, I think, for feeling whole. You know, you can have your your worldly why, and you can have your personal why, and you can have your career why, and you can have your family why. There's not one why. I think that if sometimes they overlap, but I think if you try to just pick one why, I think that would be too much. I think you have to find pieces in all the different parts of your life. And at certain times, you'll hit one, and other times you'll hit others. That would be my my approach is to kind of think about how can you can squeeze in some of these rewarding things that you feel like. I just wanted to share something kind of interesting that I saw. It was like a little sketch. It was on Instagram, but it was like a guy on the ground, like looking like he probably was maybe unconscious or something. And there was a guy by his side and there was like a line of people and they were asking like, are the guy was like, are any of you a doctor? And the first guy was like, I'm a stylist. And the guy behind him was like, I'm also a stylist. And the list was like five or six people long. And they were like, I'm a stylist too. And it made me think about that creative aspect. And it's great that everybody is finding their passions in things that they love to do, but we can't forget about the practical things of the world. And so, and like I said before, we have talked about this on other podcasts about the style of work that we do, but your passion can be different from your career. And sometimes, and this is the honest truth, is that sometimes when you make your passion your career, you can lose some of that passion. Um, And so you do kind of want to have that balance and that mix between. And so I know that this is advice from Jules, but this is kind of advice from me that I've learned through her is that it's good to have a million different passions and try a bunch of different things. And I grew up watching her explore through a bunch of different things and see what what lit her up and made her excited. And I joke with her like, wow, you get obsessed with things and you love certain things, but then she moves on and she finds, you know, another love and another obsession. And it's not that, and I'm not saying obsession in a bad way whatsoever, but she, when she falls in love with something and likes to do something, she does it all, but she'll always be able to go back to it because she doesn't burn herself out. And so anybody who's feeling like they need to find a passion or they need to find their why, it's like, don't be in a rush to do it. Because once you get there, and once you think you're there, you're going to realize you're really not you're trying, you need to fill up your cup in all different ways. Yeah. And I do think that that's a good point. I feel that, you know, you should always be inquisitive. And if something interests you, then, then investigate, you know, don't be afraid to ask, people who are, you know, involved in whatever it is you're interested in, or do some reading on it, or, you know, listen to a podcast on something, explore, if there are people doing what you're interested in, get involved. Uh, And I think the whole world is out there for there's so many different exciting things to try. Doesn't mean that, you know, if you go down one path that you have to stick with it forever. 
So, you know, I kind of sometimes feel like my interests are a little bit like ADHD. It's like, oh, look, butterflies. Oh, look, birds. Oh, look, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just like, oh, you know, sparkly things. I'm going to go with that path. But, you know, what it does is it it, it catch, captures your interest and, um, and rounds you out and, and um, makes you a more interesting person, not only for other people, but for yourself, you know, think about ways that you can make yourself more interesting. And that, you know, in the process of finding your why, you're going to explore lots of avenues, and you're going to become more of an interesting person to yourself and to everybody else. And I think that can be self-inspiring and and can be very self-motivating. You know, people are always looking for new reasons or new ways. And the process of exploring can be a huge why. I love that. Um, Is there anything else that you want to say or talk about? Any last advice? You're, you're, You're a mom. I have, I have, I have lots of things to say, you know, well, a, a couple of things, you know, to go back to the sort of the self-esteem and I do, I'm just going to talk about that. And there's one other thing, realize that you do need to make space in yourself for appreciating and loving yourself before you can let other people into your lives that you can let yourself be loved and loved back. And I know that sounds really corny, but I do really think I've seen and I've had experience in myself and I've seen enough because I've worked with probably thousands of, of people through the course of my years that doing what we do, people typically start to feel better about themselves. And once they do that, I always laugh and I always say, yes, they, you know, they kind of get themselves in better shape. They're eating better. They're feeling good. And then all of a sudden they find somebody and they fall in love because they have become more open and more receptive to letting other people into their lives because they have learned how to love themselves. And so I think that's as a, as words from a mother, figure out how you can really embrace yourself and truly accept yourself. If you are struggling with relationships, that those relationships won't improve until you can take some self-worth along the way. So that's one thing that I guess I, I really want to step aside with that. And the other thing was on role models, you know, I am very honored that, you know, I can be Elle's mom and that she does feel grateful that I, that I am her role mother, a role model, role mother. Yes. But also that there are a lot of people, yeah, there are a lot of people out there who don't have situations. Maybe they don't have their mom around or maybe their mother is not the role model that they would have liked. So you can have plenty of other people in your lives who can be role models. And it doesn't have to be your mother if you're a woman, it could be your father. And likewise for a young man, you know, a mother or another, you know, somebody who you can feel that uh, level of openness and unconditional respect and love. I think that's a very important thing. And it can change too through the course of your life. So you may have had maybe a teacher or an advisor when you were in school. It may even be, you know, an aunt or an older, you know, relative or a neighbor. Um, But realize that if you're feeling that you don't have a role model as your parent, that there, that you can still look to other people. And I do think that, you know, doing what we do, that is something that I do feel that's part of what my legacy is, I guess you could say, is that I feel that if I can offer that, it is important to me. I say that all, it all the time. I'm like, yeah, I have to share my mom <laughs> with hundreds of other women. And it's something that I've always had to do. You were always even a mom to friends of mine growing up. 
when they would come over and we'd have sleepovers, you would talk to us about life. And I'd go to other friends' houses and like we'd talk about boys and lip gloss and whatever. And you just always talk to us about life. And you talk to me a lot about life because I had a lot of questions. And I was always trying to trying to learn and figure it out, even from I think a really young age. So that's what you do for all for all your clients. You you do. You definitely have this like mother motherly role. And so a lot of these women have that through you because maybe they don't have it in their life or maybe their mother they don't live in the same, you know, side of the country or whatever. And it's it's kind of cool. And that's why I said, you know, this is a good time to do this because you know, we just we did just celebrate Mother's Day celebrating Father's Day in a couple weeks. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a mother or a father figure that provides this type of guidance for you and that it's not exclusive to a mother or a father. And that goes back to, you know, when I was growing up, my mother gave me that unconditional love, but she never really wanted to talk about the, you know, about the realities of life or the hard facts. And that was something that was important to me that I felt like, you know what, there should be no topics that are, you know, that are taboo, we should be able to talk about it and, and look at it and and kind of process things together. 100%. I am grateful. Well, thanks for being my little interviewee today. Uh, I got to pick your brain a little bit. And I I hope that the listeners enjoyed it too. Well, I I hope that some of the things that we've talked about have them have, you know, you as a listener out there, I do want you to think about how, you know, how the world has shaped you and then also how you can shape the world. And I think when we talk about that as, you know, parental advice, that's what we want for our our children, our, our loved ones. So if you're struggling with that, I'm hoping that some of this makes some sense to you. And if you can walk away and give you some some food for thought, then we've done our job on this podcast. Yay. All right, guys. So we will catch you in next week's episode. Look for us every week on the Best Fit Body podcast for Tuesday uploads. And also, we'd love to hear comments. And if you have anything that you want to add in the in the comments section, we really appreciate that. Yay. All righty, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.